Father, as we look at our brother Paul here, help us to understand. Help us to long. Help us to understand the seriousness of this text. And yet, even in that, understand that we ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ should, as the Apostle Paul, be concerned about our ministry and those who would make false accusations. We thank you and we praise you in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen. Beginning in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer to those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Paul is dealing, um, I, I guess if you wanted to use today's vernacular, with his reputation, its integrity. Um, what happens is that those who would minister for Jesus Christ and the authority of the Scriptures, the way Jesus' plan and power is, they will become a target. They will attack the minister. And um, they do it in a, uh, shall I say, a plethora of ways. They are unrelenting. Because um, what I'm thinking right now and, and perceiving is that the number of true teachers and servants of Jesus Christ is a lot smaller than people think. And um, when I, I, I look at this, then I realize that our adversary has um, fewer targets to waste his time on. Okay, And um, the, the Apostle Paul here was definitely being accused of some things. Um, and And... When I look at these, if you look at your outline, I give you six points there that are reasons that we believe that defense of our integrity um, uh, is that vital. I have uh, spent some time looking at the book, and there is a sense that when a spiritual leader, pastor, elder, is confronted with sin that he's non-repentant of, it is to be brought before the congregation so that the congregation understands the seriousness of it and the person is set aside. Okay, we've read this before. Some of us have studied it a little more than others. But you do not receive an accusation against a leader or an elder without two or more witnesses. And a part of the reason is just what this text is dealing with. There is this one thing that I would give you a footnote on. I do not see anywhere that you restore a fallen leader. It's not in there. Okay, now listen. It doesn't mean that they don't come and serve in the body of Christ. But not in leadership. Okay, So, when I read this about integrity, I take it a little more serious than maybe some people would. Paul's passion throughout this letter, 2 Corinthians, is to protect himself from anything that would discredit him. Okay, Paul understood that he was in a run to run to the finish line. He was in a race of endurance. 
when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he says he wished to finish the work that the Lord had given him. And then he and the elders knew that they would never see each other again, and they wept bitterly. Even with the passion that they had for those men and the co-labors that they did in the city of Ephesus, they understood that Paul's race was now down the road. And they would miss him. But the task was, take care of the flock that has been entrusted to you. And off he went. And they were right. They never saw him on this side of heaven. Paul's purpose in this world was to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this too. Because I, I, I see a, a, a slight twist that happens in our, our thinking. Alright? When you think about ministry or a minister, uh, I've made it adamant and clear it's a servant. Okay? There isn't paid ministers and non-paid ministers. If you're saved, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. Okay, now I want you to think about something because we get this kind of twisted at times. Okay? Most people that I know right now believe that they are ministering to people. That's not biblical. You minister to Christ. Okay? And my ministry unto the Lord involves people. See, if you take your focus off the people and realize that everything you're doing is a service to the Lord Jesus Christ, I bet you get just a little more passion in it. Because people can wear you out. And if I focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, and that is my service, my act of spiritual worship, then the people are easy to deal with. And I don't care who they are. Because there's some dandies out there. Paul understood this. And so he understood that if he was going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he had to guard his integrity. Okay, integrity is that thing that we call credibility. You know, I've got people right now, (laughs) to this very day, who are waiting for me to fall. And they made that statement 25 years ago. Boy, they got some patience, ain't they? But that's what they're convinced of. Well, it's just a religion thing. Okay? And so they just wait. They're just waiting. That's all they're doing. Do we have trust in our servants? Do our servants have credibility? Paul, this is a tremendous concern. And you know what? It should be for any servant of the Lord. Our credibility, our integrity, our reputation should be foremost. You know what? I get people who say, well, you shouldn't wear that, or you shouldn't wear that, or you should shave, you shouldn't shave. You should, you know, you go through all of these things that people have in their mind. Well, you just, but the only, you never hear anybody say, well, what about their integrity? All right, and yet I watch people who violate their integrity and then go start a second church. I know three guys right now who have started church plants that were kicked out of their church because of uh, what is that? Uh, uh, internet pornography, and and the leadership board says, you know, you got to step down, all the rest of it, and they left and they take big pieces of the congregation, they start a second pornographic church. I don't know. I don't know. That's crazy to me. I'm sitting there going, do you understand that that's an issue? Okay. In my mind and in my light of scripture, that is adultery. And I don't care how you cut it. It is adultery. And I, that just is mind boggling to me that you would reinstate a church leader after doing that. 
That's crazy. It's crazy. So when I think about the integrity of the ministry, the first thing that you have to say, and this really shouldn't be a surprise, is you need to guard yourself from sin. Please hear what I'm trying to say. Guard yourself from sin. People have a tendency to want to guard everybody else from sin. Bless you. You can't do it. Guard yourself from sin. Okay? First Corinthians, Paul said, I beat my flesh into submission, so I shall not be disqualified. If you think about what Jesus said, if your eye offends you, what? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Do you know what he's trying to get there? Dealing with sin is something that needs to be drastic. Okay, it doesn't mean let's all go around maiming each other. Okay, it means that you can't play with sin. Okay, because I know people right now who's, uh, it's just like this close. But I haven't seen, let me tell you something. You keep messing with it, at some point you get it. And I don't care what it is. Because if you think you can overpower your sin, then Christ didn't need to die for you. Okay? When I I think about church leadership, the, the life that is necessary to oversee the flock of God, I understand that they have to be blameless and above reproach. Okay? key word there is not sinless. They are blameless and above reproach. Okay, so the first thing is, and I mean you don't have to be a deep theological thinker to say, you know, probably ought to avoid sin. Good idea. Just don't get yourself in that place. Okay, there's little signs that come up and say, this could be sin if you stumble into it. Well, I just won't go down that road. Okay, because if it comes to stumble, I bet you I can do it. Okay, and the day you think you can't, (laughs) you're going to skin your nose. Okay, but it's that simple. Second thing is, and that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, and, and this is a little trickier, false accusations. False accusations. I came out of the liquor store a few months ago, back last year actually. And what I had done was put these, everybody's into the energy efficient whatever, and I'd put these energy efficient fluorescent lights in there for the, in the liquor store. God asked me if I'd do that for him. I said, yeah. So I went in there and gave him a bill um, and uh, came out. Somebody had seen me coming out and immediately began saying, I saw the pastor coming out of the liquor store. Busted. Okay. But he never came and asked me. What was you coming out of the liquor store for? See what I mean? Dude, the other day I came out carrying a ladder out of the nursing home. Wonder what that means. (laughs) You know, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Because, see, it's easy to accuse. I've seen him. You know he used to party. Yeah. Thirty some odd years ago, I had a doctorate in it. You see what I'm trying to get at? That's the stuff that you and I have to pay attention to because um, an accusation, let's be realistic, has, does not have to have anything to validate it. Just accuse it. That's what had happened to Paul. If you serve the Lord, you will learn this. I guarantee it. And you know what? False accusations are equally as destructive to a ministry as sin is to a ministry. People in Corinth were believing the accusations that were coming against the Apostle Paul. And Paul was in defense of his integrity in this context here. And part of it is, is based that if you look at it, it's kind of the hinge that Second Corinthians hangs on is this is who I am. I open my heart to you. You know who I am. Why would you believe this? Integrity is important to the minister, to the servant. 
And what happens is those who would believe false accusations um, will be divisive. Uh, and, and golly, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've seen it. Okay. In, in just my short ministry. Uh, but I can take heart that the Apostle Paul was dealing with it a lot longer than I was. I also have the benefit of having a New Testament that I can say, but this is what it says. Paul didn't have that. He had to have the integrity because he was in the process of writing the New Testament. Okay, but one of the things that I find fascinating about all of this is defending of yourself is really tricky. Sometimes the defense is worse than the accusation. Okay? Um, one of the things that I have watched in the past is if you're not careful in the defense of your integrity, you will give the enemy more ammunition. They will say, look, they're boasting. Or, see, look, they are self-serving. Um, the Apostle Paul says, hey, my heart's wide open. What have I hid from you? Did I not live among you? Didn't I work with you day in and day out? House to house. I mean, really, what did I hide from you? You know me. You have seen me. And, and, you know, and I, and I think about this because in, in some, I can even look at this group. There's some in this room have been with me since I started my ministry here. There's some have just come in in the last few years. All right. And so whenever you, you get that back and forth, you have some who may be over here who don't know you as well as these over here know you. It's like the Apostle Paul said, uh, even in, in this text, that you would give an occasion to be proud of us so that you will answer those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Those who were making the false accusations. This outline that you look at um, are reasons uh, for his ministry, basically, because he knew that he was serving the Lord. Verse 11, he says, um, you know, the the awe of God, we persuade men. We are moving your conscience because of our fear, our reverence for God. We want, as God knows us, we want you to know us that way too, even to your conscience. He made the statement that it is for the church, verse 12, that you would have an occasion to be proud of us. Giving you reminding you, letting you know, do you not remember us? Do you not remember that it was me who preached the gospel for the first time in your city that many were saved? It was me who went into the synagogue and got run out? Do you not remember that? Why? I did that for the body of Christ, the church. Do you not remember verse 13? That we are besides ourselves for God. We're out of our minds of the things of God. But we bring them down a little slower, a little mellower for your sake. We don't want to overwhelm you. We do that for truth, that the truth would go forth and the truth that you would learn from us, you would pass on to faithful men and women that would able to teach others. Verse 14, it is for the Savior. The integrity of ministry is for the Savior because the love of Christ pressures us. It pushes us and it holds us in a way because it is His love. It's like I've run out of, I've run out of options here. And then he makes the comment, we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And we looked at that in depth last week, that the all that died, or the one that died for all, the all is the ones who died with him. That would be the elect, the church, the believers. And it's all 
linked together. Then if you look at the one we're going to talk, talk on this day is the fifth one for righteousness. Verse 15, He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Okay? He died for all. Okay? The who lived, those who live, death was not permanent. If we died in Christ, then guess what? We raise in Christ. Because He rose, we live. And you can spot it. It's easy. It's easy to know who someone is saved. Why? Look what it says. They no longer live for themselves. Let me tell you something. In our society today, that stands out like a sore thumb. It is so odd to have people who don't live for themselves. It's peculiar. You think they're up to no good. Or perhaps they're running for office. He rose as their substitution. Okay, now listen, I want you to share, I, I want to reiterate this one more time. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Okay, His death on a cross was sufficient for the sins of humanity. Okay? But, it is efficient for those who believe. Okay? Those who believe, He is now the literal substitution for them. Okay? So now that we all got our hermeneutics together, let's go back over to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Okay? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into His death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Sometimes when I do a baptism, I quote that scripture. Why? The baptism, the total immersion of the person is the semblance of God's death, Christ's death. You are now immersed into His death. But I raise you about that you now walk in what? Newness of life. Okay, that, my friends, is righteousness. The new life is right standing before a holy, perfect, pure God. But that only happens is if Christ is your literal, real, substitutionary death. It ain't a said thing. It isn't something that you contemplate. It isn't something you reach around and try to grasp. It is real. It is legit. And it is life-changing instantaneously. You died in Him. You rise in Him. Listen, brothers and sisters, I, I watch people running around for miracles, and there's no greater miracle than that. I'm not waiting on the newness of life. It's now. It's real. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh, what? Cannot please God. Okay, do I need to debate that? I'm not even sure I have to explain that, do I? 
Alright. However, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? He does not belong to Him. Note there, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Now grab a hold of this. Yet the Spirit is alive because of what? So you can't separate the new life and righteousness. If a person is really saved, their life is going to produce and visibly see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's visible. And everybody gets mad at me. Well, you don't know whether I'm saved or not. Well, you're not demonstrating any righteousness whatsoever. So that's what I'm concluding it on. You know, you look just like everybody else who's lost. Therefore, you must be saved. Do you realize how silly that is? Well, that was a good person there. It's, it's like, if you ever go to a funeral, I remember going to a funeral of somebody that I knew extraordinarily well. And I kept thinking I was at the wrong funeral because I knew this person really well. And what they were saying, I kept thinking, that ain't the person I know. Well, you don't want to say bad things about him. Then make it short. Because I never heard of me. I, well, he's in glory now. Uh-uh. There's very few people that I can be adamant about. He ain't. Okay? I know what his life was. He took great pride in it. No. Mm-mm. He went home and died in his sleeping bag of a cocaine overdose. Well, yeah. He, everybody knows if you do cocaine, you pray harder. Do you see what I mean? No. You don't do that. Listen, now, now listen. First John tells me that if anyone says he's without sin calls God a liar. All right. I'm not saying that righteousness is sinlessness. Okay. That happens in glory. Okay. But I am saying that all of a sudden they have a right standing with God. And when you have a right standing with God, now think about this, because because I have a right standing with God, I now have peace with God. And because I have peace with God, I have the peace of God. Okay, if you've got the peace of God, tell me what shakes you. I mean, really? I have the peace of God. God is in absolute control of the molecular structure of existence. And your problem is what? I Now, if you don't have that, then you may want to step to point one. Are you at peace with God? Because that can cause turmoil. Well, it can. Heartburn, acid reflux, all kinds of things. Okay? High blood pressure. You name it. It can cause your car to rust. Well, if he's in control of every molecule in existence, he can cause your car to rust. He can put little gravel things that when you're on your motorcycle and it skids enough to make you go, ooh. Trust me. I bear witness my testimony. Go to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 2. Okay, verse 19. I'm following. Christ dies as a substitute for those who are in him. They die also so that they may walk in the newness of life. Those who died in him have rose in him and now live the new life. Verse 19 of Galatians 2. For through the law, 
I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, if you're a Christian, the focus of your life is what? I have been crucified with Christ and the life I live, I live to him. I have the newness of life, the righteousness of life, and it is to Christ. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. Ministry is to who? Christ. And it will affect other people. They're going to see it. Why? The problem with the evangelical community in Castle Rock and in the United States is the church don't show anything that the world don't already have. And yet, I just gave you two verses that says, you now have peace of God, peace with God, and every molecule is in control, is being absolutely controlled and predetermined by that God. And you have been buried with His sacrifice as a substitution for the penalty that was due you. And now, you can walk in the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. Now, I hate to break the news to you, but that ought to be evident. I have the righteousness of Christ, but I left it in my other suit. Really? You're clothed in what? But see what I... The frustration that you can get? You just sit there and go, really? You know, and I hear people, well, I'm saved. I believe. What do you believe in? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was a substitution for your sin? That freaks people out. What? Well, that would mean I was a sinner. My. Who could ever say such a thing? I know people who got saved and they don't even know what they got saved from. How does that work? That's like I was drowning, but I didn't know it. I guarantee you, when you're drowning, you know it. Because your ministry, and we'll look at this a little later, is to be reconciled. And you have the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that word literally means in the Greek? Rescued. I have, I'm a lifeguard. (laughs) God, that sounds corny. Oh, well. Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who who live. He died. He lives. Not us. Paul says, not us. It's Christ. The time that I have here is for Christ. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's not for your spouse. It's not for your grandkids. It's not for your kids. It's not for your dog. It's not for your chickens. Okay, It's not for your personal gratification. It's not for your personal glory. You live for Christ. Period. And you know what? I've looked around. There's no qualifiers. There's no loophole. It is for Christ. Because I minister to Christ. If I'm a servant to Christ, everything else takes care of itself. Seek my kingdom, my righteousness, and what happens? All things will be... Added to you. Why don't we believe that? I don't understand why we don't believe that. And don't tell me we do because I've seen your actions. The actions speak louder than the words. Why? I give it all to Christ. Watch. If your money gets tied at the end of the month, who gets less? You or Christ? Oh, he's going to teach on giving. No, it's just a question. When things start going bad on you, you try to fix them. Ah, if I go ahead and refinance the house, maybe I can get more. No. Why don't you trust the Lord? 
I, these are things that, you know, you live out. It's, it's, Dr. Olver used to call it, he says, you get the theology and then you flesh it out. It is seen in the reality of the individual's life. Why? Because of the righteousness of God, Christ has been imputed to those who have died in Christ and now have been raised to walk in the newness of life, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hate to break the news to you. That's the fundamental foundation of what you profess to believe. That is a non-negotiable. Did you understand that? That's powerful stuff. There's not a religion on the planet Earth that is even close to that. There's not a system out there that can get you that. (laughs) We have been resurrected to righteousness. And it is not... Something that will happen. It is a now pre-existing condition. And it should be visible. I'm alive in Christ. I have a new nature. I have a new life. My spirit, Romans 8 says, is now made alive because the spirit of Christ and God and the Holy Spirit all in one. Now I'm alive. I live more now than I have, could have ever lived, no matter what the world offered me. If a man should gain the whole world and lose his soul. And he says, I have come to give life and give life abundantly. There comes a time when they were worshiping in, in Samaria and in Jerusalem. And he says, no, the time and the time is now that you will worship in spirit and in truth. It is now. That excites me. In case you were wondering, I have a tad bit of a passion for that. Because I can get into the blackest places for no apparent reason, but anyway. And I can grab that truth right there, the substitutionary death of Christ for me. And it don't bother me no more. And it is just that fast. Because no matter where I'm at, I know that every molecule is at his beck and call. And I have peace with him, and therefore I have the peace of him. I have now in the newness of life, and I walk in that newness, and I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what in creation can separate me now from the love of God? That should rock your universe. That one song give you illegal smile. The key to it is it's no longer self. A Christian's greatest torment. Self. All of a sudden, something about you is important. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you know, that, that really cuts a counseling session down quick. You're not that important. (laughs) And I've said that before. That's why I have such a thriving counseling business. (laughs) Acts chapter 20. Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders and they were weeping bitterly. Paul's conclusion was, it don't really matter what happens to me. Living of my life is not important to Paul. Living for Christ is all that matters. Do what God has committed me to do. I have a ministry. When my ministry is fulfilled, I'll step from this place and hopefully we'll hear, well done, true and faithful servant. Anything else is a waste. All that matters is that Christ lives through me and for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you really understand that that's all that mattered to the Apostle Paul? Go back to our text in 2 Corinthians. He died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Now, if you stopped it right there, you'd say, well, that's pretty cool. But read on. But for him who died. Okay, so who do they live for? 
Those who died in Christ, who do they live for? Christ. You live for Christ. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, hello, that's not hard to see. Do you see why now he's defending his integrity? If the accusations stick and all of a sudden now I am disqualified because of false accusations, then how do I live for Christ? I'm useless. I might as well go on to heaven. Because the passion of the apostle was to live for Christ. Whether you eat, whether you drink, you do all to Christ. I mean, he's basically saying, I'm taking the mundane things, the stuff you just do. Do it as unto Christ. That's 1 Corinthians, by the way. Saul of Tarsus is gone. Paul lives. He's this new creation. He has a new direction. He has a new passion. He has a new purpose. He's walking in the newness of life. He wants God's will. He wants God's purpose. He wants God's goals. He wants God's glory. He wants God's honor. And he wants God's truth. And he wants nothing more. Think about the things we waste our time on. And you can't say that about Paul. I love that. Drives me nuts. But I love it. The living for self is gone. If you're saved, self is gone. You can't have self if you're saved. It's all gone. The Corinthians needed to know that. The Corinthians needed to know that all these accusations were based on selfishness and that Paul had none. When you attack the integrity of somebody, what you're attacking is based on your selfishness. How can that be God-glorifying? So Paul can just spin it and say, look, the accusers are the ones who's wrong. He defending his... Integrity against their lies. Why? He wants to continue. He wants to continue to live for Christ. Another really good one. I just see if I can find it. I hate that when your brain thinks of something and your body said, what? First Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me. Verse one. Just as I also am of Christ. Be a follower of me. Why? Because I'm a follower of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The Great Commission is what? Make disciples. Make learners. Make learners of Jesus Christ. That's what the Great Commission is. Right? So when you stand before the beam of seed... Judgment of Jesus Christ. There he sits on this throne. You look up at him and you say, see all these people? They act just like me. And Paul says, because I acted just like you. See the passion of the man? Because guess what? You will stand there. And you will say, See all these souls you entrusted me? They act just like me. Then the $22 question would be, What'd you act like? That's powerful. That's that there. 
When you think that we are called to walk in the newness of life, which is actually the righteousness of Jesus Christ, whoo, that's, that's good stuff, people. Christ is everything, whether I lived or die. It's Christ. All there was in the Apostle Paul's life. Christ. True Christians do what? They live for, for Christ. Okay, I get, you know what, and, I, and I'll, I'll just wrap it up with this. You know, when I think about this, um, the truly saved, okay, they live for Christ. I, I guess, the, and, and it, this is the truly saved is the ones I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the said Christians. I'm talking about true Christians. The question is, we live for Christ. You can't be saved and not have a life for Christ. It's impossible. Okay? Listen, I don't care who the Christian is. They're going to bear, it might be a raisin, but they're going to bear something. Okay, if they don't bear nothing, hello, go back to step one. But a true Christian is still going to bear, you know, maybe a, an olive pit. No, <laughs> so, I don't know. And the reason that you see such drastic moves is to what degree do I live to Christ? Paul's the standard. That's Max. That's the proverbial got his ears pinned back and get out of my way. That's maxed out. But if you take away the integrity for the Apostle Paul, you just took away his reason for living. You completely damaged... I could, for the Apostle Paul to think about someone attacking his integrity, I cannot think of a, a, a more serious wound you could afflict the Apostle Paul with. Okay? Why? What was his whole goal in life? And if I can't be trusted with the ministry that Jesus Christ has been given to me, what would be the point? For someone to say the Apostle Paul is someone who dishonors Christ? Really? To say that the Apostle Paul lives selfishly? Really? Heartbroken? I would crush him. That's why he writes 2 Corinthians. I can't believe it. I can't believe, one, that someone had the audacity to even say something. And then I realize human nature. But to have believers believe? Mercy. So do you understand why I look at this text, these verses, as most important? Our ministries are going to be based on integrity. And that integrity will be for the Lord. That integrity will be for the church. That integrity will be for truth. That integrity will be for the Savior. And the integrity will be for our righteousness. That's good stuff, people. I found thy word, and I did pig out. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Lord, uh, I thank you for the time that you've given me with Paul. And Father, the realization of this man... Father, thank you for stirring afresh in me 
this understanding of substitution. Father, may, may, my, may my life be more passionate to live for you. May I be overwhelmed by that. Paul said, beside himself for God, help me, Lord, to be beside myself, out of my mind for you. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that your word has found fertile soil. Father, it will take deep root Spring forth a hundredfold to your glory, to your praise. Amen.